We have Buck Snow here. We do, man. Nice to meet you, by the way, Buck. I'll shake your hand again. We're doing it on the plane. Can't you? Can't thank can't you, thank that. you, thank you for having me. Yeah, nice dude, super you. awesome. So uh, obviously, as all the other guests, the, this is a, this is relationships that Michael Kreppel has had with these fine folks. So how do you guys know each other? Uh, well, we work together at Juniper Post. Yep. Big shout out to Kitchens for letting us sitting here today. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, Buck is a. Uh, um, He's a dialogue editor. He's a re-recording mixer, ADR mixer. Um, he's a master at software, build, like rebuilding um, mm-hmm. timelines that are absolutely in shambles. Yeah. So Pro Tools master. Yeah, Pro Tools, Eddie Load, all kinds of all kinds of stuff. Did you go to school for all that? I didn't actually. I'm yes. uh, almost mm-hmm. entirely self-taught. I would say self-taught, but also taught by the people that uh, I work with. You know. Um, mentored by some of the most fantastic engineers in the industry, and then really just a big personal drive to learn. You learn know, it yourself. Yeah, yeah, ever since I was 13 or 14, I decided I wanted to be an engineer, and I've just been running with it ever since. That's great. So you, he, Michael tells me that you're, you've you've won some Grammys for some some of your engineering. That's right. How do you how do you go from seeing? I love I love these I love this this uh, type of story because we just we just had our a guest last night that we talked to who Lauren Fash who went to USC and thought it was very important that she did that and you know Michael Kreppel is one of those that did not go to school. I've not gone to school. Mm-hmm. You know I've learned learned all the stuff that I do for podcasting and music and all that stuff on my own. And here you are, you didn't go to school, yep. and yet you you have seven Grammys. I was just gonna say now, engineering. <laughs> we just incredible. glossed over like the most incredible thing. Yeah, that's awesome, and it's a stat. That's no no denying that. But people try their entire life to to get to that point to attain a level of proficiency that gets them at that level. Yeah, that you're in that caliber of kind of. Uh, technical and creative and able to blend the two. Yeah. A fucking Grammy. Yeah. It's it's the ultimate music award. Right. It's the top. Yep. Equivalent. Buck has fucking seven. Yeah. Dude, not one. I'm going to do it. Not two. Oh, here we go, LeBron. Three. Not four, five, or six. <laughs> oh, come on. Seven. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's, isn't, to it's a me, lot of iron, dude. To, to me, that's, uh, where do you keep them, by the way? Um, I have them at home right now. <laughs> nice, nice. I got a I got a suitcase. I carry them around with me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Seven Grammys did not go to engineering school. So how do you go from a guy that decides you want to do engineering, and uh, then all of a sudden now here you are working with and you and you won it for for jazz right in the jazz yeah. category. Who who was the artist that you won the, the Grammys with? Uh, all those were um, Chick Corea. And then the different groups that he performs with. Got you. Um, some of them were with uh, Return to Forever. Uh, one was for an album with a. Uh, um, it was Chickory and John McLaughlin. Okay. Uh, That's called the Five Piece Band. Okay. Um, and then some other. Some other different groups. You know, he, he's always Chikorea. yeah he's always doing different types of projects with different groups. And how did you come to meet Chick Corea? Um, actually, beginning story was my parents knew him. We lived in the same town in Florida, and I met him. And right when I was finishing school, um, we were talking, and um, he was kind of looking for like a studio assistant at the time. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll do that. Um, but then I got another job at a uh, a different organization, and um, that you know kind of had more of what I was looking for at that moment to do. And um, so I actually started out as a tech, uh, an assistant tech, fixing tape machines and things like that, just simple stuff. But I was like, okay, I want to learn electronics so when I do engineering, I know what the tools are that I'm using. Right. And then from there, this organization um, actually ended up acquiring a studio which used to uh, be owned by Chick Corea. He was selling it. And they bought it. Small world. It's such a small world. I love the circle, Mm -hmm. you know, the circle that happens. So then um, I went to the studio, and it was called Mad Hatter Studios. And um, I was there for the renovation and refit. And uh, they took two beautiful Neve consoles, which Neve are like, uh, I don't know, the Bentleys or. Yeah, right, right. Super expensive, really big. 
Well, the, well it's, they call big, it the but... Neve sound, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you get you you get something very special from a console like that. Yeah. So they had two forty-channel boards, which they combined together to make an eighty-channel board. Ooh. I did not know that. Did they yeah. they build a custom chassis for that and then refit the whole thing? Uh, the the chassis buckets, you know, every eight faders or so is called a bucket. Mm -hmm. They that actually bolted together. Ah. And then we built a wood case around it so that it looked really nice. Right. Cool. Um, but it's 80 channels, and that console was made in the 70s. One, one, one of them actually came from uh, Electric Ladyland. Wow. Jimi Hendrix's yeah. studio. And the other one came from a, a broadcast studio that would broadcast orchestras every week or something like that. Wow. <laughs> so... Um, if they could talk, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, the history. If they could those. replay the sounds yeah. that have been through them, yeah. So uh, we put those consoles together, which there's only that I know of three or maybe four uh, of those 80 channel consoles in the world. Wow. Um, one is in Nashville, another one's in Northern California, another one is in LA. Mm -hmm. So fantastic. I mean, just best sounding console, like. It was kind of the pinnacle where after that they started compromising to f to squeeze in features, so they started to cram in more things and more things, and the audio quality was still great, but it just doesn't have that same vibe. Well, what 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 would you be uh, able to say? Like, was it the components that they started to chintz on that, yeah. that became less better? Yeah, know, not quite as good. For example, on that console. Um, every amplifier is made up of individual components. So, you know, you have something that's like a, a two inch by two inch square, um, which then amplifies the signal. And that's used in, in multiple points through the, the console. Right. Now, all of those components are squeezed into a little tiny chip, ah, which it. is, you know, less than smaller than your fingernail. Yeah. Yeah. So, with all of that cramming things together, it kind of loses something. Sure. Some, and, it, and even sorry. some people might say that the newer consoles are technically perfect, but, you know, we're... There's no mojo. We're, we're not making technically perfect music. Right. We're making emotional... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tear at your gut strings <laughs> music. <laughs> and this just forwards that. Yeah. Um, for the, uh, the listeners who don't know what we're talking about, a recording console is... Uh, a device, a big, giant spaceship-looking thing that has, uh, it can have compression, um, EQ, uh, multiple faders, um, routing, and, and it, what you do is, the the simple part is you plug microphones into it and you record instruments, and then from the console, it goes to a recording device like a tape machine or a computer or something like that. So it's like, basically, it's the the actual bus that picks you up and takes you to your location right and you are the sound right so it's it's a way to get the sound from the instrument amplify it through microphones and then it gets put down on tape that's so you can listen to it Th thanks yeah. for illustrating that that's really important so for the average listener i mean mm -hmm. honestly they do do you think the average listener even knows even can tell the difference between one of those boards and just a regular, honestly, because uh, let me, let me, let me put it in the podcast world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I don't have a, at my home studio, it's not as professional as the professionals, but I've worked really hard at getting to sound as professional as I can with the budget that I have. And it sounds, sounds really good. I mean, yeah. it sounds really, really good. And then you've got these other guys that are way more popular and they just sound like dog shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, how much, does it really matter? You know, and I know it's different between podcasting and music, but I don't think the average listener can go, oh my God, that must have been one of those really badass consoles. You know what I'm saying? But I, as an engineer, what do you, what do you, what are some things that you can put in like layman's terms? Great question. What do you hear that's totally different on a, on a nice console like that compared to the new stuff? I think the average listener does notice and does appreciate it, but they can't put a word to what they're They can't hearing. articulate what they're, what yeah. they're hearing. And what, what, that higher quality does is it just removes the pro the record making process so that there's a clean channel from the artist who is singing uh, something saying something I they're like they're trying to convey some emotion and the higher quality 
capture it. Capture, mm. mix, and delivery that you can do with that, you know, the, the headphones, the speakers that the end user is listening on. The higher quality that is, the more of a direct emotional connection the listener has to the music. Do you nice. have any examples of maybe maybe even a band that used that had a higher budget, maybe in the beginning they didn't have a good budget, and then they had a higher budget and, and the differences. I have a, uh, an example of, um, I was working with a band and they did a live show and uh, they had someone do a mix during the live show just to record it. Um, they weren't gonna release that, but they did the mix. And the band came to me and said, look, you know, when we were on stage, we thought this was our, our best performance of the song ever. And you know, listening to the recording, it's terrible. I don't know if we're going to be able to use this. Mm. You know, the the uh, the different players were not in time. You know, it was just like, I don't even know if they played the right things. This sounds terrible. Right. right. And I went, okay, let me check it out. And I just threw a really quick mix together. You know, if I was I was sketching, it would just be like a, a real fast sketch, right? Right. But, um. I made sure everything was there. You could hear it. It sounded good, each instrument on its own. And when it was all put together, um, it fit really well as a mix. And I played it for the band, and they went, that is fantastic. What did you fucking do? What did you do? Did you, <laughs> did you edit all the instruments? Like, like, literally, one of the musicians came to me with a page and a half of notes of, like, Oh, here I played the wrong note. Here the piano chord isn't right. The you know the drums sure. didn't hit sure. right here, and everything. And he listened to it, and he just scratched out that whole list, and threw it away. That's awesome. Now the thing is, I hadn't edited a single note. I had not moved anything. Mm -hmm. I had just put it in a proper balance and a proper. Really, I had mixed it so the energy that they performed with came through. Right. And the first person who did it, who mixed it live, he just wasn't, didn't understand what the core elements of that song were and right. what was important. That's an incredible segue because you wanted to talk about the purpose of engineering. Yeah. And I think that's a really good segue because that is the purpose of engineering. That's right. Um, you know, not every, as, as humans, we're on, when, we're, when we're performing, and I know that some engineers want the drummer to play exactly the same every single time, but it's really not the easiest thing to do for even a, even a guitar player, anybody. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to be some notes that aren't exactly perfect this, all the time. And the engineer, the engineer does that. You, you're able to make it sound really, really good. So let, I'll let it come from you because I'm not an sure. engineer. I'm a drummer. I have no idea why. What when you look at a 80 channel board, mm -hmm. I go fuck. What am I? I don't even know what I could do with all that. Right. Well, I, th I think too. One thing that you could do, Buck, is explain the difference between an engineer and mm -hmm. a mix engineer, and sure. how those lines could please could blur. You know, those paths could cross, or those hats could cross. Yeah. Um, and then even if. Um, a producer role plays mm -hmm. into that and how, mm, in fact, yeah. working with Chick, if, you know, if he played something and you went, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, sometimes, dude, uh, I think it was the Sound City uh, documentary from Dave Grohl. Um, oh, that's a great documentary. It's fantastic. But in that, in that uh, interview, I think, or one, some, one of those interviews, the kid was saying from Sound City, he's like, who am I? To tell those guys. To tell yeah. those guys, no, that sucked. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you, they need it. Yeah. We need it. You know, it's like uh, Buck, I think, is going to have great uh, analogies and explanations. Yeah. So, sure. Yeah. Um, well, m my purpose as an engineer, I guess first let's define engineer. Yeah. So originally a sound engineer was called an engineer because they literally built the equipment. They were an electrical mm. engineer that makes sense. who would build the console, who would build the electronics and everything so that they could record something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, then through probably 50s, 60s or so, that kind of started to split off where you had people who were the artistic engineer and are creating and building the sound and then you had technicians right. or electrical engineers, right. you know, who are building the equipment. The people recording might be a recording engineer, right? Right. Yeah. So um, in our terms, an engineer usually means the person recording. So because he is, in a way, building the sound. Yeah. 
Yeah. So he's putting the microphones on the instruments, uh, adjusting those signals, right. um, getting a good recording onto tape, and he is really building kind of the um, the soundscape right. of the artist. And he works very closely with the artist to you know use different guitars, use different drums, in so that they will fit together and that they will be a cohesive whole when right. he's done. And then do you, do you think That's too, awesome. uh, use, holding that point right there, mm -hmm. when you're dealing with multiple songs yes. that have different sonic palettes, yeah. you like have to tie that together too. You it's not you're just doing one song, you're doing now 12 songs um, and the engineer is putting his creative uh, input on the recording. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe it's keeping it consistent mm -hmm. between the songs. Sometimes it's purposely changing it so it's different. Like, okay, this song, we're going to have a different guitar sound right. to really give it its own thing. So, you know, people don't necessarily want to listen to a hour-long song. They don't want to listen <laughs> yes. to an album yeah. where every song sounds the same. <laughs> oh, not this one again. <laughs> oh, we're on track nine. <laughs> totally true, right? Totally true. It's That's true. a good point. But at the same time, there is also, you know, a signature yeah. that the artist has that right. you, when you hear them on the radio, you want to go, oh, that's that artist. Yeah. I've never heard this song, but I know it's that artist. Right. So it's a very fine, fine line to, to decide on those things. But um, yeah, so the engineer, he creates the sound and then sometimes that guy then becomes the mixing engineer. Mm -hmm. And so we usually do another process where now that everything's recorded, go back through everything, adjust it and put it together um, so that it creates the, the final um, listening product. Yeah. Um, in the 80s, I think it was the 80s, um, it really started to separate where an album would be recorded by an engineer and then it would be mixed by a mixer. That came about a lot because the engineer would engineer the whole album and then the record label would go, okay, this single needs to play on radio and we're going to do, we're going to hire this really hot, hot guy, hot shit guy mm -hmm. to um, mix it just for the radio. So it comes through really well on the radio. Mm. And that kind of created this separation. Yeah, the separation where now you have elite mixers who just mix because that's the final stage where you can take something which is okay and make it fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you have an unskilled mixer, you can take something which is really great and make it terrible. Right. Yeah. So it's that last stage where, you know, you've invested all of this time songwriting recording it with great musicians, you know, building it all up. Yeah. Thousands of dollars, yeah. hours, I mean, just blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. You know, sometimes years of, of work, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and now are you going to knock it across the finish line with a huge bang or just slowly peter out? You're going to trip down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Grammys. Did you go to the Grammys and accept the award? Was it, uh, I mean, how did that all play out? Uh, I have been to the Grammys. Um, I I was not there when they won. Actually, that's a, a funny and long story in, in and of itself. <laughs> so the first Grammy that I won for, um, and actually this goes back to, okay, how did I get into engineering? Yeah, we, so we kind of diverged. Yeah, we didn't really finish all that, the whole story, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was working at the studio, installing all the equipment, and then started working there as an assistant engineer. And for years, I had just, had just been fascinated with engineering. So any book I could get, any magazine I could get, I was reading about it. That's awesome. And Read the manual. Yes. <laughs> read the fucking You're manual. RTFM, baby. <laughs> God, I need to read the manual. <laughs> yep. And yes, I read many, many, many manuals. Mm -hmm. um, so then I started working there, and I was assistant engineer some, to some really, really fantastic uh, engineers. One of the first albums that we did there was a Chicory album, and I was assistant engineer on that. And um, then a year later, he came back to do another album, and um, I was assistant engineer for the recording of it. And then the guy that we were going to have mix it, he wasn't available. He had already booked a gig in uh, England, 
and uh, the record label needed it by a certain time in order to release it for, you know, uh, to tie in with other things and stuff like that. So here's your chance. So here's my chance. So we found another engineer whose name is Al Schmidt, and if you look up his, what? yeah, if you look up his credits, it's the who, who's who. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he. I don't think I knew this about you. Oh yeah. So this album was the ultimate adventure by Chick Corea, and uh, we got Al Schmidt. He's like, you know, wow. Okay, we're, top top of the top. Yeah. So the so you got to to work with really skilled engineers. Yeah. How awesome. Yeah. So, but he wasn't available to mix the whole album. Next so, man up. So the studio manager said, you know. Hey, if he mixes, you know, a song or two and you see what he's doing, can you do the rest? And I said, of course. Yeah. I would love to. Because I sat there <laughs> through the recordings and I like I really understood sure. the whole vibe and everything of the songs. And, you know, when we were recording, it was like, I want to mix this. So I got the opportunity. So Al ended up mixing three songs and then I mixed the rest of the album, which I think was another seven or eight songs. There was also like a bonus song and stuff like that. So I mixed those, uh, and Chick Corea was really, really happy with them. And, and that was because uh, I just, I under, you know, whether I knew the technical or not, which I did know a lot of technical there, I understood what he was trying to communicate there. Like, right. I how, could, how do you know that? How, how do you, what, what, is, what is the skill in, in being, in, being you yeah. that allowed you to know that? Because not everybody can understand another person's vision. Um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know that I could fully define that. It's yeah. um, a sense. It's a well, sense. I mean, it, it does come about through conversations with I was going to say, you're, you're there and feeling his, like when yeah. it's right, he's like, you know, this is you... supposed to be glorious. Right. This is supposed to be sad. <clears throat> you know, there's, um, like hearing rhythms that happen between the keyboard, the bass and the drums and these things, you know, um, you know, and understanding that he's not playing something unimportant during the saxophone solo. He's playing something which complements the saxophone. So he's got to be, you know, audible. And, and you get that interplay, you know, just watching them perform. You can see them and they look Visually, at each other yeah. and they do things and, you know, they're, they're grooving along. So that when I'm mixing and I'm hearing that coming through the speakers, I'm like, Okay, it does this sound like they're having fun? Does it mm, sound right. like right. they're playing off right. of each other? You know, he plays something and then he mimics it and then he goes in another way, you know, like is that all coming through? They're, you're 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 giving the dance the proper uh, uh microscope so to speak. It's That's like right. you're, you're painting that now, vision. I love that because I do feel like and I've I've said this I I before to bandmates I feel like what we're tr what you're trying to do in the studio is make it as good as it is live, and yep. because and it may not be as great live, but because there's so much visual, there's so much happening, there's so much to look at that's a that very, you've got to make good... it really big yeah, in the yeah. studio. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think um, to elaborate on that, when I'm on stage, I don't know that that it sounds as good as it possibly can because it's a live performance, right? But it's the energy it of- It never does. Yeah. <laughs> it never does, but it, it is the energy. It is That's the right. energy and the visualization of the, of the performance that you get like an emotional, a visceral- feeling that's right and, and then you don't get that in a recording right sometimes well that's this that's what buck, an engineer this for. is what master master buck snow comes <laughs> yeah. in and and paints the mix and i have a great analogy of that which is that um you know if you just record something it's like putting a single camera up looking at a room and you've got stuff happening in the room right if you look at that mm. shot you say amateur hour <laughs> this is the worst movie ever, right? It's so true. You need multiple angles. You need to flash back Amateur hour. Right. <laughs> and the reason is your eye doesn't operate that way. Yeah. When you go into a room, your eye is moving from one person yep. to another person yep. to a thing in the back to the thing right in front of you. It is constantly moving around. Yep. So I think of mixing that same way. So smart, man. I yeah. When I hear sound, I actually get uh, like a almost visual pictures. Yeah. I hear sound with colors mm -hmm. and different, you know, character and stuff. 
And it really does build up to me to be like a whole visual view. So when I'm mixing, I'm doing that. I'm trying to direct the audience's attention so that they're looking at this thing, they're looking at this thing. And, but it's not in isolation. It's against a backdrop of, you know, an interesting stage backdrop, right. which gives everything color. Right. I hope the listeners really, really understand that because it makes it makes so much sense because most of the time we don't, as listeners of music, we don't really think about that stuff. And I don't think we should have to think about it. I think you're yeah. only thinking about it if it's not doing that. That's right. You're only thinking about it if that's, it's shitty. That's, that's something right. that's what we have in common now in this in post-production is uh, working on a movie, making the sound work for a movie or a television show. If you are watching it and are just watching the sound is right. Yep. Right? And that's but if suddenly you go, oh, what was that? Then that's, the yeah. sound is wrong and it's not working. That's right. Because if you think about it, you have the artist who's performing and then you have the end listener who's listening. Mm -hmm. And in between there is an almost uncountable number of vias. Yeah. The singer into the microphone, the microphone onto the tape or computer system, yep. the through the speakers, you know, all of these things. So what we're doing as engineers is we're trying to remove all of that technical so that the emotion and the communication from the artist just goes directly to the person. Oops. Uh, I did so it again. <laughs> all right. So that's you, great, Buck. You that's got, great. you got to mix that. Yes. Seven songs from that album. What was the name of the album again? It was called the ultimate adventure. The ultimate adventure. Now did that one win a Grammy? It did. <laughs> <laughs> so holy crap, man. <laughs> so, and I finished that mixing that album. Uh, I think I was mixing the very last song on my 22nd birthday. Oh, dude. Are you kidding me? That's great. So, and when, when is that? When's your birthday? Uh, it's in June. So June, how? Oh, um, I was born in 83. So, okay, wait, so, wait a second. You were mixing from when until June? Like, oh, when did you start the mix? Oh, started the mix? Um, you have weeks? Did you have... I think it was about two months. That's nice. I think we started recording in January. Okay. That's... Uh, Dude, six months from, from start to end. Start to end, that's, and, and that's that was the, that's great. The thing was, was he he was touring through all that time. He basically was touring, took a week off, came would back. record, go on tour for another three weeks, come back, recorded another couple songs right. with another group of people, and he came in for three sessions to record. Hey, I have a question for you. Yeah, because that was his place originally. Mm -hmm. Did he did he say you know what? Let's put the drums over there because uh, I know that they sound best over there, or let me put my grand piano in the middle of this fucking room. and um, a, a little bit. He has an engineer whose name is Bernie Kirsch, and um, Bernie has worked with him since the 70s. Okay. So, well, 40 years wow. now. Um, and Bernie is his live engineer. He goes on tour with him, and then he's also his studio engineer. So Bernie had helped build Mad Hatter Studios originally when it was opened in the 70s. Wow. So he, I mean, he was the one telling me stories of like, you know, uh, they first opened and, you know, recorded everything with um, this one microphone they had. They got a sponsorship and they had, they got eight of these microphones. And I was like, what did you use them on? And he's like, well, when we opened, we used them on everything. Then he kind of paused and said, because those were the only mics we had. <laughs> <laughs> Which they were fantastic. So so Bernie did kind of say that, you know, like, okay, so we're going to set up like this and, you know, uh, we're going to need packing blankets to put over the piano mm -hmm. so that other instruments don't get into the piano mics very yeah, much and, yeah. and things like that. And a, a very, very important thing was no matter where they were set up in the room for the sound, every musician had to be able to see each other. Line of sight. Yep. yep. Because they would do things, you know, where Jazz. Chick nods yep. his head and mm -hmm. is like, okay, this is where we play this part. Yep. yep. And um, without that, they wouldn't be able to play. Sure, sure, sure. Very cool. Yep. So from there? So we recorded it, and yes, yeah, so I mixed it. It won a Grammy, and at the time, I didn't understand the different categories of Grammys. So um, I know Chick Korea got it, and we were all, you know, over the moon, you know, we were very happy and everything, but I didn't know that I personally got it. And the way that it works is different categories um, specific people are eligible for. In the category of best album, the Grammy goes to the um, the artist, of course, the producer, 
and the engineers, whether that's an engineer who recorded it or an engineer who mixed it. So um, it had won for the category. Actually, that album won two Grammys. One was for Best Composition, which went to Chick Corea for writing it. And then the other one was Best Jazz Album or Best Jazz Instrumental Album. And so um, I was I got the Grammy then. But I didn't find out for like another two years. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. So <laughs> I then mixed another album for him, which was uh, him and Gary Burton. It was called the New Crystal Silence Album. And uh, Gary Burton plays a vibraphone and is... I mean, those two playing together is out of this world. Really? Like, they play the most complex, amazing things and then go into total unison. And I've never seen two musicians play together wow. so beautifully as those two. Right. Cool. So, so I mixed that album, and um, that also won a Grammy. And so after it won the Grammy, uh, Gary emailed me and said, hey, somebody at the Grammy office is trying to get a hold of you. They say they've got something and they didn't know where to deliver it to. So uh, can you answer them? I was like, okay. And what, am I getting them. a t-shirt? Yeah. I'm like, do I get like a certificate right. that says, you know, bag? for yeah. contribution to Grammy winning album? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Really, that's what I was expecting to yeah. get. And um, so they contacted me. I gave them my address, address and everything. And uh, what, what had happened was they were moving offices. Oh. So all of their undelivered rewards, they had to get delivered. Right. Um, and they were going through this backlog of awards just sitting in their office. So uh, a week later, I get this box in the mail, and I'm, I, I literally couldn't believe it. I'm like, no, this can't be right. it. And then I open it up, and I'm like... Oh my god! How cool! And what I cool almost, oh my god! I got a Grammy! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It's a great feeling. I, I couldn't believe it, you know. And even even today, it's still kind of unreal. Mm -hmm. And um, and so yeah, the, when I got my first Grammy, I w had already won my second Grammy. Right. So, and from there, I just continued to work on different uh, albums with Chick for like another ten years and. Um, we won more Grammys. That's cool. So, do dude. you stay in that genre, or have you have you engineered rock albums, or do you, do you prefer jazz? Honestly, um, I am more of a rock and pop guy than I am jazz. I had before working with Chick Corea, I'd never really listened to much jazz. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna start, start at the top, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the best musician, that's for sure. That's right. And I also kind of feel that that's somewhat of what set those albums apart was because I was approaching them, you know, like a rock mix or like a pop mix where you, you just have to hear everything. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have this consideration that jazz is meant to sound natural and, you know, um, uh, it's supposed to be really organic. And my experience working with Chick Corea and working with Lenny White, um, who's the drummer for Return for Forever, and uh, Stanley Clark, who's also from Return to Forever, and they're, you know, have their own solo careers, which are magnificent. Mm -hmm. um, working with those guys, they don't really want it natural. They don't want it to sound fake and plastic, but they're not afraid to have it sound hyped, to have it sound whatever it needs to so you can hear every note that's played. Right. Like a jazz drummer is very dynamic mm -hmm. and plays so many yeah. things. Soft. Soft uh, on the snare, you know, tap. You know, lots of little things. And the amount of processing necessary to bring that out through a recording pick up those MV2. those small those tiny notes yeah because mv2 mv2 <laughs> <laughs> that must be a plug-in huh yeah <laughs> we use it on a lot of things yeah. um but so the thing but in order to do all that processing and then not make it sound like it's processed yeah. to make it seem natural but you're not holding back on what you have to do to make it make it man come that's through a, that's a really interesting point because I notice when I'm engineering or, or producing a record or mixing a record, the thing that keeps getting brought back is 
I want it to feel like I hear it. Yep. I want it to sound like I hear it. And drums don't sound like they do on an album. Yep. Like there they, is a ton. There's a lot please of correct me to yep. the level that it needs to be corrected at, but there is so much processing there done is. to drums yep. to get them to sound good. People yeah. don't know that either. There's low mids that is just like the worst yep. sounding oh, yeah. frequency bands. Kong. Man, Kong. oh man, it's On like the, snare, the, it's the, like oh the, the box, the box. You, like you you go, oh God, let's get that out of what there. What do you do? Yeah. You know? And then I'm so glad that you said that because there th that's really interesting to know that how much goes into after after you hit record, then you start developing like, oh, this piano this stand-up bass, this electric bass, this kick drum, or they you start going, you know what, that tom doesn't quite sound right. Can we swap that one out? Yep. Right? And, and, and it's like anything else. You want to get, I, I'm, I'm guessing, you want to get the best audio and have the best instruments that you can so that you can really dial it in. Yeah. If you start out with shit, it's going to probably sound like shit. Yeah, and so um, let, let's roll back to your initial question. Do you think that the gear matters? Yes, I think that the gear entirely matters, but it's not, the gear can't be thought of as more important than the music. Mm -hmm. um, mm. it, it absolutely contributes to getting that emotional response through, but the emotional response is the most important thing. And right? the player and the way the player hits, uh, you know, in, in, in the case of a drummer, the way he hits, the, the tone, because he, he's the one listening, he, she's the one listening, they know exactly what tone and where to hit and where to strike. Right. That's right. And my view on it is the way that they're hitting it, that's their emotion. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not going to tell a drummer how to hit his drums. Thank you <laughs> for that. <laughs> no, really, I've had engineers be like, oh, no, you got to do it. I'm, I, it was the most frustrating thing ever. It's like, wait, this is my voice. This yeah. is my instrument. That that's was, right. That, that it, wasn't it, me, was it? No, it was <laughs> okay. not you. you <laughs> never did that. No. Thank God. That's, by the way, that's how we met. Right. I recorded his band. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I may make suggestions like, hey, you know, could we try doing this or whatever, but I'm not going to tell you what your technique is. You know what? Because that's your technique. My technique is what microphone am I going to use? What am I going to do with that when it's recorded? And um, there's a certain uh, coordination that we need to do together in teamwork, you know, because it's your sound. But, you know, if there's something that you can do, like, hey, let's try a different symbol. I know that's what the symbol that you usually like, but it's not quite working with the rest of the track. Very good point. You know, um, awesome. Uh, yep. You know, you, you get that a lot when you've got a drummer who does a lot of live gigs and they'll use certain symbols because that's what, you know, cuts through and fills up a room and makes it so you can hear it in that room. In a studio, the way microphones pick up sound is just not the same as our ear picks up sound. Right. It's a technical fact. And a lot of what we're doing is trying to correct for that and then make it, as Michael said, yeah. sound like how you... Sound. Perceive it, yeah. 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 Or how you think you should hear it. That's right. Because a lot of people yeah. don't actually hear the same way yeah. as, you know, what they think they should hear. Mm -hmm. So drums now in, is like how we think drums should sound, which is not always the same as the way that it sounds. But then they should, I mean, t tell me tell me the, the last time, well, you might as an engineer, mm -hmm. uh, Buck, but tell me the last time you showed up to a live gig and you're like, oh, that drum that drum sound isn't the same as the album. You don't give a shit. Oh, no. There's energy, the band's pumping, the That's speakers right. are loud, and you don't go... You don't. You don't do that. That's why we go to an out to a concert to yeah. a show, yeah. because the visuals, we, the watching well, your artists, and also just that pure, you know, chest shaking yeah. energy right. that comes with loud sound. Yeah. Which you're not, even if you have an amazing stereo system, you're just not going to get that in your living room right. or on your your headphones or you know your Beats right. or anything like that. Yeah. So um, I. I never have any consideration of this is studio, this is live. Like, if I'm mixing a live broadcast of something, um, I want it to sound live, but I also want it to sound like a record. I want it to have so the... you're finding the balance between the two. Yeah, I want to have the distinction, and you can hear every instrument, and all of that arrangement is there, but with the energy of the live yeah. thing. Gotcha. That's great. And in the studio... I don't care if you have two guitarists. If the song needs three or four or five guitars in order to make the song sound good, you're in the studio. Like, do it. Don't limit 
what you're doing in the studio because of live and don't limit live because of what you did in the studio. Dude, that's such that is so so uh, relevant because I hear um, I hear on a lot of uh, band um, interviews on on YouTube and stuff like that because this stuff is so fascinating to me. Um, bands like Aerosmith talk about adding things that they'll never be able to play, yep. but the song needed it. Right, right. Do, and do we, how many times have you done that in your band? Yes. How are we going to duplicate that live? Yeah, yeah. Got to hire another player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. It, it goes pretty deep. We in my the funk band that I was in years ago, we talked about making tracks because I was the drummer mm, in that band and mm -hmm. playing the backing and tracks. playing the backing yeah. tracks, so we could have the album sound on stage. But you know what? We just put people on stage. So yeah. we, we had two backup singers. We had. Romley Davis from Earth, Wind, and Fire playing horns with us, um, keyboardist, bass, guitar, drums, and vocals. I mean, so it I was just like some, nine people. Throw some some clarity for people who don't know a lot about. I mean, obviously, I think this is funny, uh, Michael. We've had the first few people have all been in, in in movies, and I'm sitting here going, I have no idea what they're talking about. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean. To the extent that you engineer, Buck, I don't, but you can tell that obviously we're musicians, we're, we're, we're jamming about the conversation, we're excited about it, but there's people that are listening that may not, they may not know shit. So I want to know, I want to, what's a plug-in, because we, sure. we threw that that's, out there. That's smart. And then also when we say backing tracks, stuff like that, what do we mean? Um, you can clarify the backing tracks and, and if you want I'll wanna, do the plug-in. Yeah. Well, I, Buck can do it all. <laughs> yeah, he can. True. But a backing track, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak from my experience. I was in a band called Synth the Circuit uh, with my good friend Nick, and uh, he he's very he did a lot of backing tracks. They're they're challenging to play with, especially as a drummer. And if anything, and, I, and I'm not used to them, so if anything goes wrong and you're off the track behind you that's playing behind you, because it's playing, it's going to be consistent. And you may not be because you're a human, right? right? Uh, so if you fall off of it at all, it's oof, it's, it's it's dangerous. But Twenty One Pilots, like was, that band, uses a lot of backing tracks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, when they play a very live. a very good point to to bring up so people can understand. Everyone remembers Millie Vanilli. Oh, there you go. Well, that was lip syncing. Uh, no, they were playing. They were lip syncing two tracks. Oh, that's right. And just it was just the vocals that were backing tracks. Yes. Oh, that's a great example. So yeah. that that is a thing where you get on stage and your backing tracks are something that you play to that brings the sound to, uh, I guess, a more uh, um, album sound. Like, it, like an it, album. the things that are on the album that you don't have people to play. Yeah. They're there for you, and the drummer plays to a click track, which is a metronome yep. that keeps right. time, and so on. Um, so that the drummer stays in time with, with the, the backing, track. backing track. Yeah. Right. Yep. And now now the science of it is so far better than back in the day. Yeah. Wrong songs don't get loaded up. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So anyway, Buck, take it away. So, what's a what's a plug-in? So, in the recording process, yeah. So a plug-in... Um, means a piece of software that runs within another software which adds additional features. Um, you know, people may know that from different browser plugins or whatever which add functions. So in audio, what that means is we have our main software which has all the audio in it and we do all of our work and that's called Pro Tools. Um, and then there's additional software that you can add to it which um, affects the sound in some way. You know, um, if on your... Your radio, you've got bass and treble controls. Perfect. That's what we call EQ. Yep. So what it does is adjusts the adjusts the relative volume of frequencies, makes something have more bass, makes something brighter, um, you know. And then there's a lot more detail, but that's the general strokes of it. Um, there's also other effects that can be done, like reverb. So you're adding the sound of a space onto an instrument. You know, you may record right. in a small dead room mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, the instrument is very dead. Close. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, you add an effect like this on mm -hmm. and then you've got this huge hall and right. it's the reverb. Grand Canyon. I mean, like That's delays right. that can echo for a very long time. Well, and they have plugins that emulate amplifiers and all yeah. kinds of different yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, things that add distortion, things that, um, you know, th there's just almost an infinite. unlimited number of plugins. Right. Um, and do they emulate a, like a physical piece? Are they? Yeah, yeah. They they make them now where they can do you know 
they can create their own unique sound or they're meant to copy um, a physical piece of equipment, yep. uh, which is quite popular. Right. Um, and then, you know, you know, if you have like one of those pieces of equipment, you can only use it on one thing. With a plug-in, then you can load it up and use it on... 96 things. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Happy it, time. <laughs> it opens a whole new world of possibilities. Right, right. So, um, so simplifying, needless to say, uh, it takes, just like anything else that we've discussed on Unscripted Narrative, it, it takes, there's a lot of stuff that goes into creating an album, but I do like that it only took six months on one of them. Yeah. We're talking to people where it's taking six years to make a movie. Uh, stick with music. It's a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it's the, you can see the light, the light at the end of the tunnel yeah. when it comes to music. Now, but, uh, keep in mind too. Uh, just for rel relative uh, conversation, Chinese democracy took something like five years to make mm -hmm. or six years. Crazy. Now that does have to do with mental illness and stuff like that, but <laughs> but that album did take a significant chunk of time. Oh, did it? it? Oh yeah, it took like Chinese, guys came no, in. Okay, so Chinese democracy. I'm not familiar with that. Who. Is Guns and Roses? Oh okay. So yeah. after the big blow Never up, was a and, fan, so. um, they uh, they being basically six years. Axel. It took them that long. I think maybe even longer. I, think, I thought you were. I I, think, you know what's funny is I thought you were actually talking about the Chinese democracy, and I'm like, that's not a. It's not. They're not a democracy. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. <laughs> that shows you how much I don't listen to Guns N' Roses. <laughs> but, well, I think, uh, and one of uh, Meatloaf's more recent albums took about ten years to make. Wow, wow. really? Okay. And you can you can fact check me on that because I'm not sure. I know uh, one of the engineers that recorded drums on some songs, and he said they re-recorded the drums like up to ten times. Oh, see that. Tell, tell this story, Buck. Yeah. You just told me about the uh, the original drummer for Def Leppard. Yes. And why he thought about never drumming again. This is so fascinating, and you'll appreciate this, partner. So I don't remember all of the names, so I won't name the names that I don't remember. Um, <laughs> Say that fast ten times. <laughs> <laughs> right. In case I wrongly accuse somebody. Uh, but I worked with Wood, uh, Woody Woodmancy, and he was uh, one of the early drummers for Def Leppard. And they did an album, and the producer, mm. in order... And this is actually a great example of quality getting in the way of the communication and of the emotional, um, you know, response. So the producer wanted to record everything on the album separate. So if you're playing a guitar chord and you're holding down three strings, oh. he would make the guitarist record one string one time through the song the other string, the other time through the strong song. Oh, my God. So this drummer who, you know, has... You're talking one... So once you're hitting the you're snare. You're hitting you're the, snare. the snare. The whole way through. The, yeah. Oh, no Hi -hat. way ever. Kick drum. Yeah. The Tom feel won. goes away. The feel's out the window. Yes. So, so the feel's out the window. So then he'd have to keep doing it again and again and again, trying to get the feel there, which, I mean... If you ever get a chance to see Woody play, his feel is incredible. I mean, he'll just start, uh, he taps on the table yeah. and- And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you want to exactly. dance. And you're just, you're dancing around <laughs> right, the room. Right. Um, so to have to break that down, I mean, it, it would be like- why did I? Why did I spend hours in the woodshed learning how to get my limbs to go in, in different directions at the same time? Right. Yep. Uh, it's for an engineer to tell me to play one at a time. That's right. Ridiculous. And so it, it took them like a year or two of solid recording to get this album done. And when they finally finished the album, Woody was like, "I don't think I want to be a musician anymore. If wow. this is the way it is, oh. yeah. then you know, right? Bad engineer. I don't want to do this. Yeah, bad engineer. So, but Buck, um, what what would be one way that you could? Uh, break mixing down into an analogy so people could understand. Totally. I think a great analogy, which a lot of people get is, um, a lot of people are, are used to the visual arts, you know, so if you explain Photoshop or something to them, then they can kind of get that. So like in Photoshop, you have multiple layers. Yeah. You can have just the picture and then you can have text, which you put in front of it and things like that. So as a mixer, what I'm most like is the guy who's putting together a magazine. Mm. 
So you have all the pictures and you have the text of the articles and ads and, you know, whatever right. all goes together to make a magazine. And so this guy is making the text fit a certain way, resizing the picture, you know, make, maybe taking different pictures and making some brighter and some darker so they look like they were all taken by the same photographer. And um, he's putting all those pieces together. So as a mixer, um, everything's already recorded. I have all of these different instruments and they're, uh, you know, the drums is one thing, the bass is one thing, the vocals is one thing. Yeah, keyboards. Keyboards, and, yeah. exactly. Yep. Um, which sometimes can get very big. Mm -hmm. I just recently finished mixing a song which had 290 tracks. Wow. Big, huge, epic thing, you know, like 80 or 90 tracks of vocals and then just all sorts of different instruments going through different things. I mean, it was almost, it was almost like a movie going through all these different sounds. So I take all of those things and fit them together. And I make them brighter or darker, yeah, uh, yeah. EQ, the, the treble bass controls on your radio, that kind of thing, adjusting that, putting effects on it to make it sound like it's in a space or, right. you know, different things and really fit all of those pieces together like a puzzle so that it comes through. Also sometimes consider it almost like sculpting. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting it there. You have this big piece of marble or you know these all of these chunks of mud thrown together and what i'm doing is cleaning up and making in focus each instrument and fitting mm. it together so that you have this final polished statue nice of all of those elements that you can look at you know when you start it's just this jumbled mass of right. mud basically right. let me let me ask you something when you say uh put it in a space mm -hmm. now you don't i guess you're not limited to not being outer space, but what do you mean by putting it in a space? Like in, in an acoustic environment. So like in, in a room, in like a, in a in a church, right. in a right. a small room. Gymnasium, yep. in a bathroom or, you know. That's whatever. right. Whatever right. is appropriate to it. You know, right. sometimes it's a big space. Sometimes it's a small space. Sometimes it's putting little, you know, that reverb and little space on things where you don't hear that it's really there. But if you take it away, everything just flattens together. Right. It's just putting that that depth. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's I think, really cool. I think it'd be fun for any, well, it wouldn't be fun for any listener, to hear what a full album sounds like without being mixed. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like. I mean, you could maybe jump through each song and give them a oh, little dash. Because it would be torture. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I haven't built it yet, but I am building a, a page on my web page, which is going to have before and after samples. Nice. That's a great, and, you that's know, a great idea. And here's what the artist gave me and how it sounded, and here's how it sounded this after it work. was mixed. This is my yeah. work. Please do that. Yeah, because it, it is hard to communicate and it's hard to see, you know, if you just always listen to things that are mixed, you think that that's how it is. And an artist can have a song that they've been listening to, you know, what, the whole time that they've been developing it. And they, you know, sometimes they get attached to that and they think that's the only way that it can sound because that's the only way that they've heard it. Right. And then you mix it and you play it for them and they get kind of confused and think, I don't know if this is better because it's not what I've been hearing for a year. And then if you can kind of like let them listen to that a bunch of times and then they start going, oh, wow, you know, this is, a, yeah, I'll get why right. this is way better. Right. And maybe there's something that was lost from the demo that you have to change in your mix, you know, uh, that's very common is that I'll do a mix, play it for the artist and they generally love it, but they miss something that was in the demo. And then, then we talk about it because as I said, it's really difficult, but it is possible to understand what is important to other people. You know, I'll listen to a song and think these are the important elements of that song. Right. And the person may say like, oh, no, this part was really important. You know, even though you can't hear it in the demo, that was really important to me. And OK, let's adjust that. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a simple fix. But right. it does take work between me and the artist, a bit of back and forth to fully understand and realize their dream. Yeah. What's your why? Why do you keep... What what's your purpose and why do you keep engineering? I mean, what is it that you just love about it that drives you? I love to see an engineer. I uh, uh, I love to see an artist's dreams come into reality. When they write a song, when they put this thing together, 
they want to create a certain emotion in their audience. They want to, you know, they were feeling bad and they somehow got through it and they want to help somebody else get through it. And so I want to just take all that technical away from the artist and they don't have to think or worry about that at all. And then enhance what they're doing. So, you know, they think they're, they can reach a five in terms of getting to that audience. And I want to make it so that they reach a 10. And when I play a song, you know, I take a mix and I mixed it and I play it for them and they tear up and go, wow, I have been working on this song, you know, for a year or two years or whatever. And I've heard it so many times and I just never really thought it was right. And then you play me that mix. And I remember the first moment that I had where I wanted to write the song and get it to That's the so. end listener and you have made it even more than I ever thought was possible. Yeah. So do you get excited do you oh, get yes. right before you, they, they haven't heard it and you get excited for them to hear it for the first time? Yeah. And nervous. Yeah. Cause they Cause, may not like because it. Because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's a tricky thing. Sometimes yeah. you hear a song and you think what's important is one thing and then they listen to it and they say that something else is important. And um, and that is what being about an engine, being an engineer is about is understanding what your purpose is. It's not to make a song that I'm proud of. It's to make a song that they created and I can be proud in knowing that I've helped them create right. that. Right. Love that. But yeah. I, I need to have no ego mm -hmm. because it's not my song. They created it. I'm helping them reach their vision of why they created it. Buck, that is so awesome, man. I love that. Yeah. Great answer. Thank you for answering that. All right, let's get into the rapid fire. Okay. Are you ready for it? I think we should answer some of them too, Michael. <laughs> All right. So Did you hear that under the bus sound? Because <laughs> 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 we, 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 we don't always answer them, but they are for you, but it's it's fun conversation. So the, the first one is cake or pie? Yes. Mm. <laughs> I'm answering that All one. All yes. of them. <laughs> yeah. Cake Probably or pie. pie. Yeah, I'm, I'm pie. Yeah. About you, Michael. Same. Yeah. What's your favorite pie? Um, I like the apple pie with some vanilla ice cream. Mm -hmm. Warmed up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same. Same for you, Buck. Are you are you a fruit pie? Or He's you not like a discriminant one. It's just pie. You know, if you're a real pie connoisseur, you're gonna say there is no one right one. Mm. It all fits the okay. uh it fits the mood, it fits what you're having, you nice. know. I love pumpkin pie, I love key lime pie. You know, a hot summer night, key lime pie is the best. If it's October, pumpkin pie. Hey. Yeah. Uh, Dude, philosophy. Thanksgiving, the pie. Uh, apple pie. Or uh, 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 sweet potato pie. Ooh. Yeah. Or pecan pie <laughs> yeah. for Christmas. You know, I've not had a pecan pie. It's, people say it's really good, but I haven't had one. Oh, my friend made a, an amazing pecan pie. You know, you can buy a pecan pie at the grocery store and it's all right. My friend made one. And it was just out of the world, out of this world. Yeah. And you have to realize that it's like 90% just melted sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Brown sugar, right? Good times. Yeah. All right, so Godfather or Star Wars? You know, I have to admit that I have not watched The Godfather yet. Neither have I. It's on my bucket list. Like, nice. it's in my queue. Okay, cool. Um, so I guess Star Wars. Yeah, by default, right? Yeah. I have, I have some info on that movie. Uh, yeah. Which movie? Star Wars. Okay. The first one. Bring it. Or the fourth one. For Is it for <laughs> a Episode new four. One, for uh, a new one that's coming out? Or is it... Uh, his, like I don't even think fact. you were born yet in 76, were you? I was one years old. Wow. Um, my daughter's grandfather. Mm-hmm. Not my father-in-law. Not my father-in-law. Uh, my daughter's grandfather. Okay. Mixed Star Wars. Wow. Academy, wow. Academy Award winner. Wow, that's, that's how I got sweet. into this crazy biz. Awesome. I was a musician full-time, bartending when I wasn't on the road, blah, blah, blah. I was living in California. Um, he pulled me aside and said, what are you going to do to take care of my granddaughter? And I said, uh, and he goes, I have a, I've called in a favor, and you have a job interview on Monday at Ground Control Studios. Don't fuck it up. He literally <laughs> said that to me. He didn't, and here we are. I was like, oh, okay. I went to the job interview and I haven't looked back. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Star Wars. How many times did you sneeze in the last seven days? 
Um, I think it was three times today. <laughs> <laughs> three times today. Nice. I, it's, it's countless for me. I, I sneeze a lot. All right. Do you like the word dapper? That You look dapper today. You know, like a uh, nice suit. You look dapper. Uh, I don't dislike it, but I don't think I would use it. Yeah, I, I don't use it. Big dogs or small dogs? Small dogs. I'm unfortunately a cat person. Mm, that's so not unfortunate. It's fine. S- small dogs to me remind me of cats, and I can <laughs> yeah. tolerate them. Uh, you know, I used to make fun of, uh, well, I still make fun of cat people, but um, I won't make fun of you, Buck. <laughs> but my sister has cats, and I always make fun of her about it. But I, I have big dogs, and I'm, I'm, I want a small dog, man. You can yep. take them everywhere. Our yep. dogs, you have, I have to kennel them every time we go somewhere. Right. It's uh, not, not the greatest. We, we, oh. have, we have both. We have a big, a big dog and a very small chihuahua. Honestly, when I see people carrying around their little tiny dog that's like literally half the size of a cat, yeah. you know, it's in their purse or whatever, I honestly feel jealous. It's like <laughs> you've got your best friend with you in every every that scenario. Is awesome, dude. I'm jealous of you. <laughs> and they're all over the airports now. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's companion just dogs. Crazy. It's like this silly thing. It's crazy. Yeah, whatever. Uh, how many hours of sleep do you need? I'd say eight. I would like to get nine, but that rarely happens. Mm. Michael? I'm in the seven to eight. I'm in the six to seven. Yeah. Well, I probably would like more, but I'm in the six to I'm in the six to seven. Mm-hmm. I need and much I need Honestly, much that's more. mostly because of my age. Yeah. Like I just don't I don't sleep any really. I right. mean it's seven to eight's pretty good, but are women complicated? I think all people are complicated. Yeah. I agree, hundred yeah. percent. Uh, say good day, mate, in Australia in an Australian accent. Good day, mate. <laughs> nice. Yes. That's pretty good. This is so entertaining. <laughs> that, that, that's that's the maximum extent of exactly. my ability to do impersonations. I think Aust- Australian accents are probably the hardest. Yeah, uh, it's of, tricky. Of all of them. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them that are hard, but I've always found the Australian accent to be difficult. How often is it healthy to cry? Hmm. That's a good question. Man, as often as needed. Yeah, because I would say the healthiest would be to not need to cry. Right. Except for, you know, the most egregious things like a death in the family or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very natural and, you know, nothing to be ashamed of of that. Um, you know, but, you know, and hopefully somebody's life is going so well that they don't need to cry, but... If things are not going well and you need to cry, there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. Nice. Sometimes crying isn't isn't sadness. I mean, you mentioned yeah. some, when you when you share your 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 mix with them and they yep. go, "Oh my god, that's exactly what I you know." Yeah, so it can be a really good, really yeah. could be a good thing. What's your favorite carb? Bread, pasta, rice, or potatoes? Bread. Yeah. Same here. I have a bagel every morning. Nice. I feel like I, you know, I feel like I just have stuck in this pattern you know i can't break out of the bagel pattern if you could ask god one question what would it be <laughs> bagel pattern <laughs> i am i'm in a bagel pattern man i'm trapped in it bagel and coffee every morning uh one question yeah um could i have more questions nice uh, i like it it's like a, god's a genie <laughs> all right uh, stale sour patch kids or fresh circus peanuts hmm that's a pretty good question i guess i would go with sour patch kids really how about you same i'd go with the peanuts man i'm not really a fan of the uh fruity candies like when my when mindy my wife when she has skittles Get away from me. I don't mm. want to smell. And it's not that the Skittles smell. It's the Skittles after they've been eaten. Now they the smell that <laughs> comes from that, I'm like, do you got to stay away. Pot I, I feel you, and I'm not a fan of Sour Patch Kids at all. I don't like sour candy. Um, but the few times that I've had, like, fresh roasted peanuts, it did not agree with me. Little 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 stomach issue. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I could tolerate choking down some Sour Patch Kids, but probably not peanuts okay I'm with there you, you. Go. plus they're a lot of work you yeah, know yeah yeah the whole well, shelling it's a lot and... of work it's coming you gotta get away from that all right last one paper or plastic paper or let's add a third here paper plastic or do you bring your own bags i try to bring my own bags same here same i'm gonna bring my own bag guy and that's the last one yeah all right right on so what are you working on now what can you plug anything you want to talk about before we end this bad boy um i mean we've got the the various movies that we're working on at juniper yep um 
I've got a album coming up soon, which uh, the the artist has asked not to talk about until he, he's ready to release. But once it's released, I'll be um, back putting, on this show talking yep, about it. That's right, and yeah. and diving into many more philosophies of mixing. That's, uh, um, is, uh, is, really is this gotta, artist local? Uh, no, they're yeah. out of Florida. I see. Um, but I'll, I'll once that I've got that released, I'll be uh, posting that on my Instagram. What is your Insta handle? It is at Buck Snow Mixing. All one at word. Buck Snow Mixing. Nice. All right, cool. And yep. when we will have you back when it's released, and maybe yep. if they're okay with it, we can share one of the tunes. Ooh, that would be that would be fun. Pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah. Yep. Well. Buck, it was a pleasure, man. Yeah. I mean, this was a, this was a fun conversation. That for was me. a big romp through a lot of. Fun, There's much more, and, and we're going to have you. geek stuff. Oh, yeah. Buck and I sit at lunch together and, and just geek out. total geek out and talk gear and music philosophy and fun stuff while we well, it's have, fun to, have it's, nice downtime. It's fun to hear it from an engineer's perspective. You know, I mean, I, I hang out with musicians, so I know what, what they how they approach music sure. and it's it, to me it was really 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 intriguing to listen to you talk about it from from a qualified really good engineer's yeah, perspective yeah. Yeah. and it's refreshing you know it's yeah. for me it's refreshing that there's engineers like you that that you're working with with the artist so i'm just one of the components right as a yeah. drummer or a bass player mostly i've recorded with drums so as a drummer i'm like I want it to sound like I play it and, and to have an engineer that's going to work with me to accomplish that, that that's refreshing. Yeah, yep. I agree. Um, and that fun. also is maybe another thing to comment on is I consider myself a member of the band. Mm-hmm. That's and, awesome. And sometimes you get a thing where the engineer feels that he's against the band. Right. And for some, whatever reason, you know, they get some competition going, my way, your way. Mm. and it And it feels like, you know two different teams playing a game of soccer. Right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm on your team against all of the rest of the world. Right. That's awesome. Those are the two teams that, you know, we have That's in a this really game. good a really good point Incredible is to be an extended member of the band to yep. help to help them get across what they're trying to get across. That's right. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being on Unscripted Narrative. Big thanks, Buck. Very cool. Right, Thank man. you for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Later.